Hey, South Bend City Church, Jason here. I'm very excited for you to hear on this episode about this year's Christmas offering. Now, for a little context, since the founding of South Bend City Church, we've focused on the practice of generosity as one way of celebrating and living in integrity with the spirit of the season when we celebrate God's generosity to us in the gift of God's self in Jesus. Uh, this year's invitation goes in three directions. Uh, one is to support the general fund. Uh, the truth is in this post-COVID, economically complex world, uh, general fund support really matters. And so maybe this Christmas, you might choose to, uh, for the first time ever, give to the general fund that pays for all of our regular life together, whether it's rent, mortgage, utilities, staffing, materials, curriculum, that makes a big difference. Uh, maybe you want to make one-time extraordinary gift during the season. That'll be really helpful. Uh, another invitation is to give to the Tribune Project. Whether you've made a pledged commitment or not, uh, everything matters right now as we try to make sure that we have all the money that we need to cross the finish line on the phase one renovation. And let me just say, you all have been incredibly faithful. We're doing really great on that front. Uh, but everything matters uh, as we get closer and closer to those final bills on this phase of the project. And then lastly, and this is what this episode is about, our special Christmas offering. Um, as with past years, the Christmas offering is going to go to support objectives in line with our calling as a community of grace and peace for our city and the world. And what I love is that on this episode, you're going to get to hear directly from some other voices about what our gift will do in the world. And so um, this year's Christmas offering divvied up between support for the work of South Bend City, uh, support for things happening in the city of South Bend, and support for good work in the world at large. You're going to hear um, about an Advent prayer guide that we're going to create, uh, including with art from our own community that's going to be released next Advent. I'm going to have a conversation with Karen Grant about that. Uh, you're going to hear about our chance to support La Casa de Amistad, uh, which has a mission right here in South Bend to empower the Latino and Hispanic community within Michiana by providing educational, cultural, and advocacy services in a welcoming bilingual environment. Uh, Juan from Casa is going to talk to you about the good work there. Uh, then you're going to hear about work that we can do in the world at large, including our partners at Redeemer Central and Belfast, where we're going to help support their work uh, in facilities. Uh, that's with a word from Dave and Stephanie out there in Belfast. And then you're going to hear from our friend Greg at the Telos Group. Uh, for years now, we've partnered with Telos in their work to help form communities of peacemakers, bringing healing to seemingly intractable conflict, including traveling with their guides for our own pilgrimage to Israel-Palestine just a year ago. Uh, the urgency of their work has only grown with recent developments in that region. Uh, we're going to support their work directly, and through Telos, we're also going to support the Peacemakers Fund, which sends support to peacemaking work that's happening on the ground right now in Israel and Palestine. So anyway, uh, check out this episode. I'm very excited for you to hear from these voices as we look forward to the good work that your generosity will do this Christmas season. Uh, up first, uh, let's hear from Karen Grant as we talk about our Advent guide that we're going to release uh, next Advent. Hey, church, I'm here with Karen Grant, our kids' ministry director. Uh, you might know her for her work with kids and families, uh, but hopefully you might also know her for her work as an artist and for her work with artists, because that's actually shown up uh, in our church space. Hey, Karen. Hey. How's it going? Pretty good. Good, good. How Thanks. are you? I'm good. I'm very good. Thanks for being <laughs> a part of this with me. Uh, one of the things that we're going to do with this year's Christmas offering is fund a project that's gonna show up in the life of our church next Christmas. Uh, we've had this dream for a little while. It's an advent guide where it'll be like a print piece and hopefully there'll be some digital expression of it. But each day of advent, you'll have a chance to sit with maybe a work of art, 
uh, maybe some visual art, maybe something written, poetry, some reflections. But these are meant to help us walk prayerfully through Advent on our way to Christmas. Uh, it'll be a perennial guide, meaning it won't be dated for one year's Advent. It'll rather just be kind of generically dated for Advent. And so any year, uh, you could take this print piece and walk through Advent. But one of the really cool things about this idea is that we want to combine some art and other artifacts from the history of our faith, uh, other eras and generations and things that they've produced with local art made by members of Sapin City Church. And Karen, you've um, had a heart for working with artists. You're an artist yourself. Can you tell us a little bit about like why you think that's important, how you've done that with Sapin City Church and what's happened when you've done that? Um, well, I think it's been important, I think, because an artist always loves to be recognized. Yeah, yeah. And um, every artist has a unique style, a unique flavor, unique unique way of doing things because they see the world through different eyes. And um, so it, it's been really cool to, one, celebrate each of them. We have so much talent in our we church. Do. It's yeah, really it's crazy. Yeah. yeah, so to be able to come up to them and say, hey, I would love for you to share your artwork with our children. Yeah, and watch their eyes show a little surprise, but yet a little excitement as they start to think about their art and how it is viewed by others. Yeah, you did this just this past summer during a series about our community mantras in the right. kids' spaces, right? Tell us more about that. Well, I had this dream a couple weeks, or a couple years ago, because one of the first um, things I found in our classrooms during the pandemic was a notebook or a journal left behind by a child. Oh, and wow. in it, she had drawn all of our mar mantra artworks, but in oh, her own wow. style and color and all that kind of, in her expression. And we just to put context around that, not everybody will know that you joined our team during COVID. Yes. And you kind of had to rebuild kids ministry coming out of COVID. So this is like an early encounter for you with right. who our people are, who our families are, and what they're creating. You have this, this thing that you find. That's amazing. Yeah. And it was amazing to me that it was done by a child. Yeah. yeah. And she obviously knew what the mantras were. Yep. And what the artwork we already have in our space looks like. And, and she was working with that. And I thought that was pretty phenomenal. Um, so the last two summers, we have done a series, four-week series, one week on each of those. And this year brought in different artists and their style of art kind of fit into what we talk about with these mantras. Mm -hmm. So like someone who had a very free-flowing um, form, we talked about practices, not performances. Nice. Yep. And um, so it was an opportunity for our adult community get to meet some of our kids yeah. and be in our space and share a little bit about themselves and what they um, think about our mantras and help teach into that. And then our kids were able to spend 30 to 45 minutes just working on something that was their very own. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. They were given a little bit of direction, a little bit of inspiration, but we wanted them, I wanted them to learn that art, can't be wrong. Yes. You know, yes, it's yep. their very own expression and we let them work freely with just some few directions for a certain style yep. that we were going for. But the kids were really able to lean into it from their own personality and style and expression. There's something really um, powerful and beautiful about getting our hands on different mediums, media, right? <laughs> Whatever the plural is, right? Like whether it's, it's you know, uh, watercolors or chalk or, or sculpting clay or whatever. We've done practices in our adult gatherings off and on over the years where all kinds of people, people who think of themselves as artistic and people who don't mm -hmm. all get to, you know, actually like create something as an expression of what they're processing or wrestling with or praying through. 
And I think those have often been like some of the most interesting and compelling times that we've had together. And it's not just that somebody is expressing what, you know, God's working on in their life or what they want to share, but it's that they've found this kind of tactile, physical way of doing that. Mm, yes. And I'm really looking forward to that for this particular guidebook. Uh, for those who want to know a little more about how this will happen, um, this Advent, which will be happening maybe as you're hearing this podcast episode, we'll be teaching through some kind of big Advent themes. And in, on the one hand, ad Advent has a lot to do with waiting. Just uh, we, we find ourselves in solidarity with all those generations who are waiting for Jesus and for all those moments in history and in scripture where it feels like everything that we're up against, everything that we're facing, like we need God to come through and show up and do something about these things, whether it's our own struggles or the struggles in the world at large. And so sometimes the theme of Advent is just to name what we're waiting for. What's the good thing? What's the beautiful thing? Or what's the healing? Or what's the justice that we're waiting for? And sometimes the holy thing is to name it and then to be vigilant with God and just say, God, I'm just waiting on this and I need you to do something about it. And on the other hand, Advent's also like looking forward to Christmas and Jesus and the fact that God has already lived God's life in a body. And Jesus went around saying things like God's life is already with you and already in you. And God's spirit is already a part of your life. And so on the one hand during Advent, we'll ask, what are you waiting for as a way of naming the things that we're not able to resolve on our own? And on the other hand, we'll ask, what are you waiting for as a reminder that sometimes the call is to get up and become the answer to our prayers, right? With God and with one another. And so we're going to ask artists uh, in our community to create around those two different directions, uh, perhaps naming some unfulfilled longing, some void, something that's like missing that we long for, for God to do. And on the other hand, art that reminds us that sometimes the thing that God is waiting for is for us to step up and take seriously the fact that God's already with us and God's already shown us what it looks like for God's to, to live God's life in a body with Jesus, right? So, uh, so we're going to um, create more sort of pathways and structures for artists to um, create and submit things for this book that we're going to release during Advent of 2024. Uh, you and I were talking along with Mariah that it's important for people to know this will be a curated collection. Uh, we're eager to see all kinds of art. Uh, the actual Advent guide that we create in the end will be curated. And some of that's just because there's only so many days of Advent. Right. And some of that's because we want to make room not just for art for our community, but we also want to make room for art from our history as people of Jesus. And so we've got art that will pull in from other eras and centuries. And some of it's because like, even though it is practices, not performances, that doesn't mean that everything is equally helpful, right? <laughs> Correct. Good. Good. Thanks, Karen. <laughs> yes, totally yeah, yeah. agree with that. So our artists can count on a very kind, gracious, and loving process where we'll be eager to see all kinds of creative efforts. And then uh, some of us on the team will work together to figure out how to create an Advent guide that we can use to walk prayerfully through Advent, not just in 2024, but hopefully like for many years to come. And I hope this will be a gift, not just for the people of South Bend City Church, uh, but maybe for a bunch of other people too, who might find that they could use some fresh inspiration for all of that waiting and hoping and longing that comes with Advent. Um, anything else you want to say when you think about this book being out there in the world? What's, what gets you excited about it? What do you hope it'll do? I think my hope for this would be that um, people who are considering submitting something find the space and the time to very thoughtfully and um, personally express something that. Um, will be very uh, moving and inspiring to somebody else and that um, people find that hope and inspiration is universal. Yeah, And amazing. so something that is hopeful to me would hopefully <laughs> bring a sense of encouragement or joy or peace or hope 
to somebody else, yes. somewhere else, someone that I'll never meet, mm-hmm. but know that it is out there somewhere for everybody else. That's awesome. So church, if you give to the Christmas offering, uh, you'll help make this possible. We hope to have a really beautiful printed book uh, that we'll be able to offer for free for members of the community next year. Uh, thanks to your giving during this year's Christmas offering. Thanks, Karen. Thank you. Hey, Church, Jason here. Now I'm going to lead you into our next conversation. This is from Juan Constantino at La Casa de Amistad here in South Bend and the work that we're going to do to support their legal clinic. Hey, Juan Constantino, uh, thank you for spending time with us. We are big fans of La Casa de Amistad, but a lot of our church members may not know a lot about what you all are up to. What's the story of your work there at Casa de Amistad? Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. And Jason, um, so the center has been really busy. And actually this year we celebrated our 50th anniversary as wow. an organization. Uh, but the organization's mission is to, in, in short to empower our Latino, Hispanic and immigrant community throughout the region with educational programs, social services, advocacy support and making sure we're doing all of that in a welcoming bilingual environment. So anywhere from uh, our educational pillar to social services, to legal support, to advocacy programming is really the four pillars we operate off of. Awesome. I think one of the um, one of the kind of heartbreaking things about South Bend is our city does tend to be pretty um, like it's segregated and stratified, right? Whether it's redlining and you know a lack of access to housing for Black people in South Bend, or like where Latino and immigrant populations live, there's like other parts of our city who don't even we don't even know each other. Really, is what I'm saying, right? Can you just give a little bit of visibility to um, like Latino and immigrant, like like who's here in South Bend? Like how much of our city is made up by these neighbors? Yeah, no, that, that's. That's a great question. And, and and actually, you know, as we talk about our Latino and immigrant community here in the city of South Bend, I want to start by saying the community has been here a long time. We didn't yeah, all of a sudden yeah. just show up. Um, yeah. You know, La Casa was founded in 1973 in the 1980 census. The Latino population in the city was 3%. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the last census data that pushed out, we're looking at closer to 17%. And mm-hmm. we believe it's an undercount in close to 20% of our city's population. So one in every five uh, person uh, is estimated to be Latino Hispanic here uh, in the city of South Bend. And truly, it's what led to our city's growth in the first time in five decades since Studebaker. Wow. Uh, yeah. So our, our Latino Hispanic and immigrant community uh, is also in large part why our city continues to grow and I would argue to flourish and develop. Um, but, uh, you know, a of the of the population, a pretty significant uh, Latino population of the Latino population, uh, pretty significant uh, Mexican nationals, but it's diversifying immensely. Um, so I also want to be clear that our immigrant population isn't just Latino or just Mexican. Right. Um, it's a diversified population, you know, with resettlement work happening with our partners at URC and others, uh, folks from Afghanistan and even others from Ukraine to a number of folks from Central America and South America, many coming from the caravan and that have fled their country, gone through the uh, U.S.-Mexico border to knock on the U.S.'s uh, door to say we're seeking asylum here in the country. Many folks are landing here in South Bend, Indiana, all the way from uh, their country. And it could be for a number of reasons. Either one, it's the push for manufacturing and the jobs that are potentially available. It could be the fact that this city and county is very dense with nonprofits and support, one of the most dense per capita in the country. And so it's a number of different things, but an ever diversifying population. And just for reference, La Casa de Amistad, Although in our mission is pretty specific to our Latino Hispanic community, very much an immigrant serving organization where through our citizenship classes, immigration legal clinic and English classes, we have folks that are represented over 92 different countries. Wow. The center. Yeah, man. 
Uh, that's amazing work. Now, um, speaking as a pastor for a minute, there are days when like faith is complicated and the Bible's complicated. So I tend to gravitate toward the things that are not or that are not complicated or things that are not unclear. And like one thing that's really, really, really clear uh, for people who want to follow Jesus or take the Bible seriously is that God cares about like immigrants and refugees. And I've learned more and more that our immigrant and refugee neighbors are often some of the most vulnerable going through some of the hardest experiences that humans will ever go through. And so uh, for us to know that you all are on the front lines doing the work right here in South Bend makes it pretty obvious for us that I think we'd like to get behind that a little bit. Um, before we talk about the specific initiative that we're going to help fund through Christmas offering, can you just give us a little more of the kind of programmatic lay of the land about what happens at La Casa de Amistad? Yeah, I'll start from the top and begin to work our way through. So uh, in essence, La Casa de Amistad operates on four pillars of programming, educational programming, social services, legal and advocacy. Within the educational programming, we've got a preschool for three to five-year-olds, half the days in Spanish, half the days in English, to get our kiddos ready for kindergarten. And then K through all the way up to 12th grade after-school academic programming and summer camps for our students. There's also an adult educational component, which consists of Spanish classes for a community that wants to learn how to speak Spanish, English classes, particularly for our immigrant community who's learning how to wants to learn how to speak English, and then citizenship classes. Those classes are, are for our immigrant community that are going through the naturalization process and have a pathway to become U.S. citizens here in the country. To date, we've had a little over 1,100 people become wow. U.S. citizens. Yeah, through that. That's program. amazing, man. Incredible. Very successful program. And then there's computer skills courses. So bridging that digital divide in our community, level one level two, just cadence of how to even log into a computer to jump on the Wi-Fi, navigating your email address, being able to work with your kids um, during e-learning as we've navigated into that world uh, due to COVID. Um, but that program not only is an educational program, but it's also meant to empower and equip our community. So for all of our level one students that pass the program with 75% attendance, um, they will be given a uh, either a computer desktop and or laptop to take home. So again, equipping and empowering our community. Amazing. Within the social service component, it's a number of things. It could be maybe a, a mother and her children going through a domestic violence case, and they come to La Casa de Amistad, they need help navigating services and referrals out. So whether it's uh, helping uh, do a three-way conversation with the police department, maybe getting them connected to the YWCA or Family Justice Center, or even St. Margaret's House for shelter. So be in that hub that then can refer out and spoke to the rest of our community partners. Uh, sometimes it's utility assistance or rental assistance that's handed at the front desk with social services, getting connected to a clinic or navigating Medicaid, Medicare as folks needed. So really any one thing that the community may need, either we provide it or we work with our partners to make sure they get connected appropriately. Then we have our legal arm, um, which has been very busy these last few years. Um, but there's two components of that. One is pro bono legal consultations. So we do have a volunteer attorney on site that'll provide pro bono legal counsel around any type of law truly. The biggest, uh, most common theme is family, uh, divorce law, child custody, some housing rights uh, with folks with their landlords and their rental contracts. Um, but it's a free 30 minutes. If you need legal representation, uh, the attorney can either refer you out to another attorney or we can work through one of our two partners like Volunteer Lawyer Network or Indiana Legal Services if you meet the income requirements to get pro bono legal representation. That's been a great program that sees over 400, about 400 clients a year with wow. pro bono legal consults. 
Then there's the the thick of uh, La Casa, which is the legal immigration clinic that we have on site. So we have a Department of Justice accredited legal representative that will help folks either apply for residency, apply for their naturalization. If you're a dreamer, you can get your DACA renewed. Um, and most recently, a second staff member has just gotten accredited. That program is getting ready to expand even more. So we had a volunteer attorney, uh, may she rest in peace, Barbara Suida, um, who passed away this February, who was representing legally uh, folks that were seeking asylum and that were resettling here in the city of South Bend. Um, after Barbara passed, we were left with a pretty significant void um, in the community. So trying to scramble and figure out what attorneys could fill in the gaps, um, how we can continue to get folks represented. And as new folks were coming, who was able to do that? Relatively speaking, within the region and the immigration legal ecosystem, there are not a ton of legal immigration attorneys that 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 can help. Also, their caseload is to the max. Mm -hmm. Recently, uh, we've been uh, granted the ability to bring on a full-time immigration attorney to La Casa de Amistad to continue to represent folks that are seeking asylum specifically uh, here uh, in our region. So that's an exciting venture, but also uh, daunting to know that uh, there is immense need here in the community, but La Casa de Amistad will be able to provide that legal representation for anyone uh, knocking on our door uh, here moving forward. And then just the last arm of La Casa is that advocacy piece. Um, so in 2017, with the previous mayoral administration, uh, we were able to launch a South Bend ID program. So a municipal ID program, particularly for our undocumented community that had access to an ID card that would allow them to either go to a pantry, uh, go to schools to pick up their son or daughter, go to a clinic, go to the ER and have this valid form of identification, but even more so to be able to engage with city agencies such as our city police and city fires should they need to. And then our No Human Being is Legal uh, campaign, which is advocating um, for our immigrant community, particularly advocating against the negative rhetoric around immigrants and avoiding the term illegal and criminalizing uh, our community that has immigrated to the states and wanting to find a new home. So that that's a lot, but that's really our four pillars from educational, social, legal, and advocacy uh, in a nutshell. Amazing. Uh, the work you guys are doing is really inspiring. Um, when uh, we approached you all and wondered if there was a way that we could be supportive of something in particular uh, with our Christmas offering, I'm, I'm always curious when um, leaders, like when it comes to the surface very quickly, I think that tells me that uh, A, you know what you're doing and B, there's a need that's very like urgent and, and, and apparent, right? And you were pretty quick uh, to tell us that there was a way that a little bit of financial support could support what you all are doing. So this is in the legal aid category. Just tell us a little bit about what our money is gonna go toward and who it's gonna help. Yeah, absolutely. So, and first off, I just want to say thank you even for the the consideration to do it. But within um, the immigration legal clinic, we find so many families uh, cannot afford to get legal representation, uh, and so we want to create a, a legal fund so that any family that comes to La Casa de Amistad is not limited by having access to do any legal process to adjust their status. For example, there is the fee for the legal representative, which we can waive. Uh, we're the legal representatives. But then there's the USCIS fee or the fee to, de to Department of Homeland Security. That we can't avoid. That fee has got to go to the government. And so the ability to have a fund to sponsor someone's asylum case, to sponsor someone's uh, who's a dreamer, to sponsor their DACA case, maybe someone who has been in a domestic violence situation and sponsor their visa. Um, some of those cases that we see often, unfortunately, that we and folks in the community need help for. And 
what we've done in the past is we've reached out to our network as best as we can and said, you know, we need assistance with uh, this case that's $250 or the USCIS fee is $495. LaCasta is waiving its $250 fee, but we still have to cover the Department of Homeland Security fee What someone help sponsor. And sometimes people are able to come forward. Other times, uh, you know, it, maybe it's a church or a different organization. And so figuring out how when someone comes to us and needs that help, especially our low-income families that need it the most, or it's for multiple people in their family, and there's five of them, and they can't afford to pay for all five fees, how can we make sure that there is no barrier to access there for anyone in our community seeking help? Amazing. Yeah. So church, we're going to uh, make a gift uh, to cover some of that. One note, I've heard you say twice now that, you know, you guys can waive part of that fee. I just want to call out as a pastor who also runs a nonprofit, which is a church. Yeah. You can say you can waive the fee, but friends, you realize when he says that, that just means that their budget is absorbing the cost of those services in other places. Right. So uh, I love that you can waive it, but we want to help cover that. And so uh, church, we will be sending um, all of our sort of city designated funds this year from the Christmas offering are going to go straight to Casa de Amistad, where I think just um, hearing from want a little bit, you can tell that there's really powerful and important work happening there. And it's our privilege uh, to have some um, small little um, opportunity here to get behind it and support it. And uh, who knows what the future will hold as we look for other ways to show up for our neighbors here in South Bend. Uh, Juan, anything else you want to say uh, as we um, wrap this up? Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm very thankful for just the opportunity to highlight the work that the center is doing. And I appreciate that we as a city and as a community and with South Bend City Church just working our way towards truly becoming a welcoming space for everyone that chooses to call this area home. So just thank you all in advance. Amazing. Uh, our, it's our privilege, Juan. Uh, we're very grateful for you and everyone doing the work there. Thank you. And now as we expand our vision to partnership that matters for the world at large, uh, you're going to hear first from our partners at Redeemer Central and Belfast. And then as soon as that conversation is done, you're going to hear from a conversation with Greg Khalil at the Telos Group and the work that we can do relative to the need for peacemaking in Israel and Palestine. Hey, Church, uh, very excited now to have our friends uh, from over in Belfast with us from Redeemer Central. Uh, we've got David Armstrong and Stephanie Wilson. Uh, good afternoon to you all. It's good morning to me. Uh, thanks for being with us. Uh, Dave, I'll start with you. Um, a lot of our church community will now be a bit familiar with Redeemer. I mean, you've been to South Bend. Uh, we've shared common cause in the past. But for those who haven't um, been tracking with that, can you just give us a brief little introduction to who Redeemer is? Yeah, sure. Um, hi, everyone listening. Um, yeah, we're a little church community here in Belfast in in Ireland. Um, obviously, Belfast part of the UK. And uh, we gather, our church gathers right in the heart of our city. Um, just like yourselves, we kind of love gathering on our Sundays and we have uh, smaller groups like our table groups that gather throughout the week um, in different homes around the city. And we're just, I guess, kind of the way we talk about ourselves is we're, we're, we're a small community trying our best to practice the way of Jesus and work for the, for the peace of our city, for the good of our city, for the common good. Um, um, and so we kind of see it as a real privilege and a bit of an adventure just to do that. Yeah, man. So our friendship goes uh, back to sort of the beginning of South and City Church. Um, and I think one of the reasons we've felt a sense of um, like maybe calling toward one another is just, um, you know, th there's lots of different callings on lots of different kinds of churches, and that can be really beautiful. But sometimes you, f you find a, a real kindred sense of um, shared calling. And I think we've felt that and then the opportunity that that presents to learn from one another and encourage each other. And I know that Every time I'm out in Belfast with you all, and I've heard this from others on our team who have been with you, uh, even like members of our church community who've just found a way to be at Redeemer when they're in Northern Ireland randomly, 
um, and the, the feeling that, um, that, uh, we see you, um, pursuing a similar calling to, to find the kind of open-handed open-heartedness of Jesus, uh, to welcome every kind of person to be, um, open to new movements of the spirit while simultaneously being deeply committed to the faith that we've inherited, that we don't get to just sort of make it up from scratch. Uh, and then right there in the heart of a city, uh, like us, um, where I see you figuring out how to use uh, your life as a community, even your physical home, um, as a benefit for the common good of the people who call Belfast home. And so anyway, I, uh, for those who are kind of wondering, like, how does this friendship, um, get stirred and what do we find in one another? I know, um, every time I come home from, from Belfast, I feel like I've been sharpened in a sense of even what we're called to in South Bend and what it looks like when I see what you all are doing. So, um, Anyway, uh, church over the years, we've had chances and we'll have more chances to, uh, mm -hmm. get to know our, our brothers and sisters over in Belfast at Redeemer. You all uh, occupy a, a beautiful and interesting uh, facility in the heart of Belfast. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your physical home? Yeah, we have this, um, this building in the heart of the city. It's an old church building that we, um, we have been using since 2012, but the building itself has been, um, been there since 1804 in some shape or form there's been a building a church building on that site and um that congregation came to an end and we got the invitation to make it our home and we've made it our home ever since then really so it's it's an old listed kind of historic building um a stone's throw from uh, the cathedral the largest protestant kind of church in belfast and a stone's throw from uh one of the biggest chapels in the church uh, in the in the, in the city so we're kind of really central um just right beside the the university and in the mix of it's quite a diverse kind of eclectic part of the city quite creative um a lot of businesses uh lgbt communities there obviously your students as i just mentioned so it's just this really interesting mix and yeah we just gather i mean our community's quite diverse and coming from quite a far away you know maybe 50 60 mile radius around belfast kind of people make their way in and we just gather every week on a sunday um in that building and it's um it's been a really great blessing for us um even though it's old and it's got its it's got its problems and its challenges we just really love it and it's kind of really informed i think our sense of calling to that particular par parish that particular part of the city and um yeah it's kind of a blessing that we get to use and hopefully open the doors of it to to allow the city itself to, to benefit from it and use it yeah one of the reasons i think that we like taking notes from you all is um you know as, as our people know we we're, we're about to move from a rented location behind a gate in a strange corner of the city that's hard to access uh, from there to a more central location with the Tribune project. And I've seen um, like the, the really diverse and beautiful ways that you all have figured out how to use that physical space uh, as part of your mission to love your neighbor and to care for those in need, whether it's the way that you gather on Sunday morning or whether it's what happens like on Friday nights. Um, and so again, our community will be hopefully somewhat familiar because last year we were able to come behind some of that work. Um, but before we get to sort of what's in front of you in terms of the building, can you describe a little bit more about, um, besides Sunday mornings, the other things that happen in the building at 101 Donegal? Yeah, sure. Um, so we're we're open most days. Um, on Monday, we have uh, 101 Thoughts for mothers and fathers and their babies. Um, we have about a thousand people holed up in hostels and hotels under refugee and asylum seeker status within a mile of our building. So 
our heart is really to serve them well. So we open on a Monday for that. We have we host a women's group for refugee and asylum seekers on Tuesdays and they use the building and our kitchen and cook and so on. And then on Fridays, we have the Sudamanese men's group meet all afternoon. And then we started a project in February of this year called The Long Table. Um, and what that is, it's a, a team of volunteers from the church and we open on Friday nights and have a community meal. So that has been a total joy and privilege um, to to build community with people who actually don't realise they're welcome in a church building. So I guess our heart is to invite those who think they're on the margins of society for whatever reason. Um, and that, that's been a beautiful thing. And we've now got people coming on Sundays to the gatherings mm. through their experiences on Friday night. So it's beautiful. And we just hope to build on that in the new year, Jason, where we're hoping to start a student lunch and serve students well, um, maybe on a Wednesday morning. So that's that's generally what happens in the building, and we hope to see more as we we care for that building and uh, move forward. Yeah, it's beautiful. I know um, Lynn from our team has been there on a Friday recently to see some of that action. Mm-hmm. I was I was there in August and happened to get to walk by and, and see all that going on at the building, yeah. and you could feel like the the love and the vibrancy of mm-hmm. what happens when a, a physical space that a church calls home. Um, gets turned outward toward uh, neighbors and becomes a place yeah. of welcome, not just on Sundays. And again, I think there's a lot for us to learn and be inspired by as we prepare to move into the Tribune. So that's these are all reasons that we um, are really eager to to support what's going on at Redeemer this year with our Christmas offering. Um, this year, uh, we are sending a portion of our Christmas offering your way. And it's a little bit open-ended because um, you are in a kind of interesting position relative to the building where, if I have this right... Um, you may be given the chance uh, to purchase it or acquire it permanently from the trustees of the former congregation that uh, stewards that building. Uh, in the meantime, there's, I think, some some heating issues and some facility challenges right now that you face. Um, you want to give us just kind of a quick rundown of that spectrum of ways that this money might help? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I'll take it first and Steph can jump in. Yeah, I mean, we... we, we uh, um, I was so grateful to South Bend City Church for the, I mean, the generosity, like you were talking about that, Jason, at the start of the call. Um, the, there is like a, kin, a kinship or a connection between our churches for, for very, various different reasons. And it um, it's beautiful. We've had the privilege of hosting some of the some of your team here. And um, just the gift last Christmas was just, we're just so grateful for it. Um, it, it went to um, help us uh kind of upgrade our heating and put a heater in place um that we're continuing to use all year and into this winter basically the the venue we have is um has got like an overall broken boiler and broken heating system and isn't functioning the way it should be so we've kind of been able to move all of our activities into one space and heat that and uh, that was possible because of the donation from from South Bend City Church last year and we continue to use that this year and it's keeping us going and it's it's working really, really well. And the, yeah, the conversations opened up about, about us acquiring the building. We'd love to do that. We'd love to see investment into the building. And obviously we're in a long-term lease there, but to own it and to be able to, yeah, say invest in it and upgrade the facilities and hopefully that in turn will really help us with all the different ministries and initiatives that we're doing. So kind of that's the... 
that's the, the hope. And yeah, there's like open negotiations have just begun. So I suppose in some ways we're just beginning that conversation and that negotiation period. But um, yeah, hopeful that at some point in 2024, we might have um, a resolution, like a positive resolution to that. Yeah, amazing. We, uh, we've been saying here in South Bend as we prepare to move to the Tribune, uh, we don't want to make too much of a building because of course God doesn't like need buildings. Mm -hmm. But we don't want to make too little of a building. Um, Dave, you're the first person I heard use this phrase, and I stole it. Uh, matter matters. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you know, as much as God can work, you know, way beyond physical structures and spaces, and the spirit doesn't need those things, I, I also see how God loves the material world and, and has given us flesh and blood and bodies and spaces and, you know, physical places that uh, we call home, and they take on a kind of life and energy of their own. And um, location matters and, and and history matters and aesthetics matter and um for all these reasons uh we're like we're cheering for you all specifically with the building knowing that um that for at least for the season you've been called to such a consequential place i know you mentioned dave like you've got like one of the largest catholic parishes just up the block in one direction and then the largest uh protestant cathedral the other direction and what Belfast's first gay club right across the street from Redeemer. And I know, I know, and then the university uh, at the end of the block that's been moving in and building massive facilities. And I know when I, when I walk that neighborhood with you, I, I can feel the intersection of so many different parts of, of the, your city. And um, in some ways, all, all these ways that we've been divided against one another, all sort of converging, all these different identities, all these different histories and hopes all sort of convening right and then there you are like right in the middle of that in uh, um, a beautiful uh, building that could use a little uh, TLC and so um, <laughs> we're uh, we're really uh, grateful to be able to come behind you all and to add a little bit of our um, resource to your work and to continue to learn together with you and uh, just to continue to see what God has for for all of us in relationships. So anyway, um, thank you for the privilege of getting to be with you in this work. And um, we'll uh, we'll look forward to continuing to hear stories of what's happening in Belfast. Thank you so much. And and I just want to say thank you to you for all that you've sown into our community, Jason. It's It's been so appreciated and we're so thankful every time for everything. So thank you. Hey, church, uh, this is uh, one final conversation for us on the global front and what our Christmas offering will do. I have my dear friend uh, here with me on Zoom, uh, Greg Khalil, uh, co-founder and president, I think, right, of the Telos Group. Uh, Greg, we're going to talk about Israel and Palestine, and hopefully everybody listening understands that we're living at a moment of grave consequence for what's happening there and immense suffering, especially in Gaza right now. But before we get to that, um, we've been in partnership for years now, even South and City Church. We took our first trip with you all. Uh, but who is Telos Group? Tell us a little bit about who you are. Sure. Um, we are in the world to unleash the power of everyone to confront injustice and work towards our mutual flourishing. Like we believe in a world in which everyone has the agency, the resources, the relationships um, that they need and they require so that we can uh, we can all thrive. Um, and so we do that through a paradigm of peacemaking. I think peacemaking can sometimes sound a little bit kumbaya, but it's really quite radical. Blessed are the peacemakers looking at a world that's broken and seems beyond repair and say, hey, we're still going to seek peace and pursue it. 
even and especially when it seems impossible. Um, and so, yeah, that's what we're about. We're about looking at all the difficult things in the world and what things you say you shouldn't look at that you shouldn't talk about, saying, what if all these seemingly intractable issues, what if these conversations are the things that might actually heal us, but we just don't know how? So we try to help people figure out how to do that, build movement and look these things head on and do it with a clear sense of purpose and value. Amazing. Um, and I think already people listening who are part of Stop and City Church will understand why we want to learn from you all and partner with you. Um, in the history of Telos, originally sort of, it's fair to say, right, the kind of primary venue for a lot of this learning was Israel-Palestine. And in your history, you've worked in depth with faith communities. Um, and I, I'll just say, as a, as a pastor of a faith community, not only have I benefited from, you know, 13 years now of friendship and partnership with you all and really, really critical learning from you all. Uh, but just in the last uh, several weeks, um, as events have spiraled um, uh, now in Gaza with what really looks just like brutality being committed now against uh, Palestinians there, um, the resources that you all have been sharing that include resources for pastors and faith communities have been some of the most helpful and on point things I've gotten my hands on as I try to think about how to be faithful in this moment. And so church family, if you're listening, um, if you've seen us try to do some things, even in the last few weeks as a church, uh, as we talked to Greg, we're talking to one of the sort of sources for this stuff as um, we really benefited from that equipping there. Um, Greg, can you talk a little bit about how you all are thinking about this uh, really critical and painful moment um, in relations between Israelis and Palestinians? I know, I know by the way, I know that's a, a, a big question, but no, it is a big question, and it is an important question, because this is a moment, sadly, that is not going to just be horrific for Israelis and Palestinians, it already is, but is a really before and after moment for the world. All of us are going to be touched. All of our lives probably already are, and we can see it in our own communities, our culture, our churches, um, our politics. Um, but I think the, the place to begin whenever you're looking at anything that is seemingly intractable, in fact, is the end or the telos. What is this thing that we're working towards? And in Israel-Palestine, Israel, we've always been very, very clear that our telos is for the mutual flourishing of both Israelis and Palestinians, security, dignity, equality, freedom justice for all Israelis and all Palestinians. And that can sound a little kumbaya, wishy-washy, but it informs everything that you do, how you show up, what, where, how are you going to use your resources? Are we working just to sort of, you know, get rid of one unjust reality and replace it with another? Um, that's not the work of justice. That's not the work of peacemaking. Um, the work of peacemaking is looking towards this larger goal, and that's what we feel called to. But the work of peacemaking is doing that in the here and now. And right now in this moment, we're seeing perhaps um, well, not perhaps, but most definitely the most serious rupture we've seen in Israel-Palestine um, in decades. And this is on the verge. And I, I venture to say, unfortunately, you know, by the time this podcast is released, this will probably be a much more serious situation than it is today, which is almost inconceivable because as we're speaking right now, not only were 1,400 innocent Israeli civilians brutally butchered and slaughtered by Hamas and their vicious terrorist attacks, but more than 8,000 Gazans uh, over 4,000 children have been killed. More than 50% of the homes in Gaza destroyed or damaged. A million people homeless. And this is just 
about to explode if this yeah. reaches Jerusalem, and this could go into something regional, perhaps global. So this is something that, unfortunately, um, is affecting a lot of us personally, our friendships, our team on the ground, family, all of this. But um, it's 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 going to shape the next years of our lives, and turning away isn't going to change that. So our call, our invitation is to turn in whatever your politics, whatever your worldview, the only way through this is together. And the only way out of this is to focus on that ultimate telos. And that is that we have to clearly work towards the ultimate benefit of all. How can I deny my neighbor what I want for myself? And for those listening, I mean, Greg's kind of mentioned Maybe it sounds kumbaya, but one reason uh, that we love and respect Telos is the deep credibility of the work um, that you all have done, Greg, and you and, and Todd and your partners there. Your credibility goes back to before you were even working with Telos, and we don't have time to tell the whole story there, but I'll just jump in quickly and say, having seen firsthand um, what you expose us to when we learn with Telos and how you equip us, this is um, deeply informed, highly credible work that makes a difference in the real world. And um, one reason I love Telos is even while simultaneously the learning often confronts you with some of the most like really brutal things, like some of the hardest things I have ever seen, I have seen through my learning with Telos, but also some of the most hopeful things I have ever seen, I have seen with my learning through Telos, because it's actually the case that, that we can do things right now that actually make a difference and are faithful to the way of peace in, in the face of all this really brutal violence. So, uh, so church, we're going to um, take part of our Christmas offering and, and make a gift to Telos, and that'll uh, go in two directions. One is to fund Telos directly as an organization as they continue to work with leaders and communities in the work of peacemaking. And then the other gifts will go toward their Peacemakers Fund. Before we get to that, Greg, tell us a little bit about just like what, what's the difference that it makes to give to Telos directly right now? Well, we're really trying to speak into the space. There aren't a lot of folks out there on this issue or some of the other issues that we work on um, who are trying to keep that tell us front and center as we do the hard work of actually confronting injustice with an eye towards healing and repair. We want to expand our voice. Um, we used to do these immersive trips to Israel-Palestine. Those will obviously be paused indefinitely. Now we want to be able to educate people and to equip them with the skills and the principles and practices of peacemaking, knowledge and relationships to actually speak into this moment and to do deep learning, not slogan-based learning, but learning that can actually connect us instead of divide us. Um, and so a gift right now is going to help us build out that capacity. Um, a gift is also going to enable us to learn together. Um, one of our favorite, favorite sayings from a pastor in Bethlehem um, is, is about hope. And so it's going to learn enable us to learn how to hope together. And, and the saying is, hope is what you do. It's a yes. reminder that hope is not an adjective. It's a verb. And that's what, how we have to behave in these moments that seem so impossibly dark and in fact are impossibly dark. Because we remember that the world, the only constant in this life is change. That's the only thing we can absolutely be certain of. And so sometimes we can feel so small while forgetting the reality that we are part of a change. We are part of the changing for better or for worse, whether we like it or not. So it's not a question of whether we have impact, but how. So how will we change our world? And more importantly, how will I change? How will we change as individuals? And this is an invitation to join us in a very deep journey where we don't have the answers, but we have the questions 
questions. And we have so many people to follow and, and take their lead. Those include the peacemakers who we invest in too. Some of the peacemakers include, I have to tell you, you may have heard the controversy about the hospital that was bombed in Gaza, the Anglican hospital there. Um, they had been recipients of some money from our peacemakers fund before and imagine will be if we're able to get that to them again. There's another um, wonderful organization in Israel called the Parent Circle. It's a group, sadly, that is growing exponentially as we speak, but it's a group of bereaved parents, Israelis and Palestinians, who have lost their children in the conflict, but who've nevertheless come together and to denounce the othering of Israelis and Palestinians and say, not one more drop of blood in our name. There are folks, like I said, um, hope is what we do from Dar al-Kalima, the largest arts university, the only arts university in Palestine, founded by Reverend Dr. Mitri Rahib, a pastor, um, who is trying to build resilience within his own community in the ways of Jesus. And so, so these are some of the recipients that you'll be able to actually touch directly by giving to the Peacemakers Fund. Amazing, man. Uh, so church, uh, like we said, if you give to Christmas offering this year, we're really honored and grateful that we can get behind some of the work that Telos is doing, both with direct support to Telos and with that Peacemakers Fund. Uh, one more note, if you want to hear um, more about a recent reflection of ours, I'll go back to the October 15th teaching on the podcast, Feed of Southland City Church, and you'll hear me reflecting on some of these experiences and also pointing you back to Telos for some of the resources that you can connect with that they're sharing that are like really helpful right now. Uh, Greg, we could talk all day, I know, uh, but you're actually in the middle of leading another trip right now in the American South doing the work that Telos does. So I want to let you get some rest. And Church, I want to give you a chance now to just take some time to reflect on how you want to give. And we'll do our best in the Christmas offering, and we'll look forward to the good work that all that giving will do. So that's it, Church. Uh, I'm really eager and grateful uh, for the ways that we show up with generosity as a church. And that includes things like time and energy and wisdom. But with the Christmas offering, it's finances, and it makes a big difference. Uh, one more reminder that in addition to the Christmas offering that you can give to any time during this season, uh, you can also get to the general fund, and that makes a huge difference, especially as we wrap up the calendar year and look forward to the second half of our fiscal year, uh, which goes to the end of June uh, in 2024. And then lastly, the Tribune Project. Uh, we are coming to the finish line of the renovation in the next several months, and every dollar helps to make sure that we can complete that and live up to our commitment there. Uh, I can't tell you how grateful I am uh, for the extraordinary generosity of so many people that make our mission possible and that make it possible for us to be generous with others. Uh, I know that I hear all the time from our partners what it means that we show up with them and for them, and that's a direct credit to you all. So this Christmas, uh, we'll look forward to the good work that we get to be a part of, and we'll thank God for God's generosity to us.